listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Mildly encouraged by that um, clap. Could you do that again for me? Some of you aren't clapping. I'm not trying to clap for myself, but I want you to increase your faith and your sense of expectation that God has something for you to hear today from the Word, whether it's for me or anyone else. That's immaterial. The point is, open your heart. Let's rise our, our sense of faith and expectation because God wants to speak to us today. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. God, what a good morning it is today to be together, gathered here with your people, flawed as we are. God, we are grateful for grace We are grateful to be reminded, Lord, that you love us, that you're for us, that your word echoes throughout the centuries, Lord, of your unfailing, steadfast care for those who seek you. So this morning, God, as we approach your word, as we start listening to this sermon, God, we want to open our hearts and we want to express, Lord, that we we trust you and we desire, we seek you to speak into our lives. God, I pray for everyone, I pray for myself, that we would be good soil. Lord, not rocky soil or the path where the seed gets stolen, but that, God, we would be fertile soil where your word would go into us, God, and we would produce fruit. That, Lord, our lives would change just personally. God, we'd grow. But also, Lord, that we'd have an impact, that we would, we would carry ministry, that we would somehow be your ambassadors, your um, servants, God, your, your, your family, uh, just modeling and communicating the love of God and the grace of God to the world that we live in. So shape us this morning in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, we said, amen. Beautiful. <clears throat> I want to, um, this morning's message, it's really interesting. I, I was reading through the book of Colossians a couple times this week, and and there's one specific sentence that just gripped my heart, and I just felt like it was a word for us today. And so I'm going to read a larger section. It's actually the final greetings where Paul is kind of communicating personal things to the people in um, the city of Colossae. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 7. All right, Colossians 4. I'm going to do 7 through 18. Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you might know about our circumstances and that he might encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. 
These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you might stand in all of the will of God, mature, fully assured, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that you read it also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's helpful to note that these personal greetings, they come at the end of an epistle, a letter to Christians in another city filled with profound theological content. I mean, he shares the gospel in the book of Colossians in powerful and profound ways. Talks about the supremacy of Christ in all things. That Christ was the first fruit but that you also, following Christ, are also the fruit of the gospel as your faith grows and grows. It talks about how how our sins have been forgiven and that we're hidden in Christ. Free as accusation and complete and full in God. Incredible message of hope and freedom and deliverance. Not to be caught up in the world, but live your lives fully for Christ. And read the book of Colossians. It's so encouraging. And it's written to certain people in a certain time. But here it's laid open to us in this time. And it's profoundly relevant. I want to pick up, though, at the very end of the book. Because here in all these personal greetings and instruction, it's chocked full of really great, not only theological, but relational, pastoral words. I want us first just to take note. First of all, there is so much relationship and community right there. Can you see it? I mean, he is talking about these people who at one point were complete strangers, but because of the gospel, because of the work of Christ and the joining together of the Holy Spirit, because of that, these people with proper names, I had to go slow and figure out how to pronounce those names, right? But they're real people. But Paul is referring to these people as dear brothers. This guy is a, he's a dear brother to me. The true act of brothering is one of the profound relationships in life. Right? And we don't all have great relationships with our brothers. I hope you do. If you don't, maybe you can work on that. But to have someone playing the role of brother in your life 
is one of the greatest things in the world. Because a brother will love you, he'll challenge you, he'll protect you. He'll speak into your life. He'll stand shoulder to shoulder when life is hard. And he'll stand there laughing at you when you do silly, ridiculous things. A brother is meant to be there for you, always. Flawed. All brothers are flawed. But here Paul is saying, man, this guy here, Tychicus, he is a dear brother to me. I can't tell you what it means to do life with this guy. It's full of community. Faithful minister. The way he describes and pours all this language. A fellow servant. These are all joining words. These are all connection points. Paul's like, I'm not out here on my own. I'm not doing life, doing ministry, just me and God against the world. Not in any way. As a matter of fact, these people are precious. They're vital. They're dear to me. They're faithful and they're loyal. I love how Mark is in the list. Right? And Barnabas. Paul had a major falling out with that guy. And there he is in the, in the list. Brothers, family. See, ministry is people. It's not programs. Programs are important. Organizations, systems matter. But ministry itself is people. It's by people to people. Church is family. And we all know, yes, family is that strange organization where you learn to love people you didn't choose to be with, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are still learning to love me. Thank you for your efforts. (laughs) Much appreciated. Complete strangers. Paul calls sisters, brothers. It's amazing to me in that list, the diversity and the sacrifice that exists there. Because if you, if you parse it, if you look at it closely, if you just read it through a couple of times, there's Jews and there's Greeks. Those are all Greek names. And, and Paul actually says, these are the only two Jews that are here. Kind of my type, my people. Boy, have they been a comfort and encouragement to me. It's so comforting to have people who get you kind of at a, at a core cultural level, Right? It's hard being out of your culture all the time because you're always translating, trying to build relationships. Paul's like, man, these Jews, man, they're comforting to me. But these Greeks, they're dear to me. They're fellow to me. We are joined together. And you get all the diversity. And you get guys like Archippus, who I believe is a son of a very wealthy man. So you got some rich kid. And you got Onesimus, who comes from Archippus's family. He's a runaway slave. So in this list, you got some rich kid and his slave. Come on. Talk to me about the diversity and the, the, the dynamics, cultural and social, economic dynamics that are going on there. But in the gospel, man, they are pulled together as dear and precious family. It's amazing to me. And the sacrifice they're sharing together. Nothing will pull people together more than Christ and sacrificial lives together. 
Because if you're all together in Christ, joined together by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes us one. We don't, be, we don't make ourselves one. Christ has done that with the Holy Spirit. Our job is to maintain the unity of the brethren, to cooperate with what God has already done and to learn how to love one another and learn how to serve together, learn how to make a difference together. And this diverse group of sacrificial people imprisoned, Paul even says, man, this guy is working hard on your behalf. It's not a social club. It's a group of people, diverse in every way, joined together by the mission of Christ, by the love of God, and by their common sacrifice. It's pretty awesome. And it's like there's love for one another there. And you don't get any sense of cliques or exclusivity, but he's inclusive. How do I know that he's inclusive? Well, it's, it's, it's very clear. He's promoting everybody. He's like, this guy here, man, he is wrestling in prayer for you. I want you to know this. This guy is wrestling in prayer, that you'd know the will of God, that you would be mature, that you'd be strong, that you'd be everything that God wants you to be. This guy, he is, he is wrestling in prayer for you. Paul didn't have to say that. Paul could have said, you know, brought all the attention back to himself. But he doesn't. He says, this guy, man, he is, he loves you so much. He is, he is for you. You don't, you don't know it, but I need to tell you. He is wrestling in prayer for you. This guy over here, he is working so hard for the advance of the gospel, something we hold dear. You know, Anisimus, man, he is a dear, dear brother. Paul, to break down any clickiness, because like some of these things, he even says, he's one of you. Well, he's not one of you. He's one of you. He comes from there. This guy doesn't, right? So there are people that are in the inner circle, the cliques. There are people here that went to Calvary Academy years ago, right? Some of us old enough. Some of us went to high school together. We've got memories. We've got history. And there are others that are just new to the game. But Paul's like, no, there are some that are in the in crowd and there are some that are new to the game. But in reality, he's promoting all of them. And he's saying we're all valuable, critical people in the process. And there's something very intentional about Paul's inclusive language that we all need to realize that we all need to duplicate, replicate. Amen? I love it how in the end he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. This is a community of grace. This is a community defined not by someone's elevation of this or that or someone's ability in this or that. This is a a community not defined by money or culture or status. This is not a community defined by any of the worldly things. This is a community defined by the grace of God. It's beautiful, isn't it? Man, I want that we would be that way. I want that we would be so intentionally inclusive that we would give the best energies, the best thoughts in our mind to speaking and honoring one another. I mean, At any given moment, I have the choice 
to speak about the negative things I know about you, and I know them. Or the wonderful things I know of you, and I know them. This is my choice. This is my choice. This is your choice. What will you speak? Will you be filled with grace? We all know why we say negative things about others. We judge people in our hearts. We judge them in our minds. And we pepper those little judgments throughout conversations. Yeah, yeah, well. It's wicked, but it's real. The stubborn inclinations of our evil hearts, they get played out. And they don't just, you don't just like gradually get rid of them. You have to stomp on them. You have to make a choice, a decision. We stand at crossroads and say, are we building a divine community that, that, that honors and is modeled after Christ? And the way he spoke and dealt with the stranger, the marginalized, the broken, the weak, the poor, the blind, the paralyzed, the sinner, and the religious ones. Even the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operate in such profound honoring of one another. The Son only did what the Father said. He only spoke the words the Father spoke. And yet it was the Father's joy to elevate Jesus and to glorify him to be the name that is above all names. The Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit reminds us of Jesus. It becomes the presence and the power of God among us. They honor and they, they, the way they fellowship together in perfect communion, this Trinity of ours. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So it's so much relationship, so much community. I want to drill down. I want to speak to us today just about that one line I mentioned earlier. And it was about Archippus. Now, if the book of Philemon, right, it's, it's a one-page book. It's just a little letter. And they believe that the book of Colossians and the book, the little letter of Philemon, went together. And they were carried together. And the book of Philemon was a letter written by Paul to Philemon regarding Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave in the wealthy Philemon's household, and he escaped. One of the worst crimes in ancient Rome was saved and reserved for escaped slaves. Rome demanded order. And there'll be no order in Rome if the slaves don't know their place. If wives don't submit to their husbands, if children don't obey their parents, etc., 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 we see in the gospel, in the, in the epistles, Paul kind of completely reframes all of those well-known sayings in relation to Christ, changes the motivation. It wasn't so that we could subjugate society; it was so that we could honor Christ. That's why we do these things. So, but anyway, so Onesimus finds Paul in Rome, and he and he evidently. He gets born again. Paul calls him a dear son, precious to him. He says, Onesimus is my very heart. 
and he sends him back. He says, I can't keep Onesimus, even though he's precious to me. I have to send him back to Philemon so he can make things right. There's a lesson right there. But he sends him with a letter and a friend, Titius. And he goes back to Philemon. So, but in the opening letter of Philemon, it talks about Philemon, and it mentions his, what we believe to be his wife's name, and Archippus, his son. This isn't 100% conclusive, but I believe that's who Archippus is. And so you can imagine the reading of the book of Colossians, which Paul says, and you heard me read, read this aloud to the church, and also make this sure this is read aloud up in Laodicea, right? And so he's going through the great theological content, the supremacy of Christ and the beauty of our redemption and gospel. And then he goes and he talks of all these people that are with him, sends a greetings. These people will tell you what's going on with us. And then right at the very end, right at the very end, before he signs his own name, he says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. I mean, how would you feel about that? What if, what if someone wrote a letter to the church encouraging us, encouraging us, and suddenly at the very end of it, this person wrote your name? Tell Sean, complete the ministry you received from the Lord. <laughs> how would you feel? Would you be honored by that? Would you be like, wow, yes, now even knows I've got a ministry from the Lord and I'm gonna go for it. Would you be a little bit embarrassed about that? Like, why did he have to tell me to complete it? Have I stopped? Am I not doing a good enough job? Right? Most of us would be like, uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. Right? How would you feel? Well, sure enough, Paul thought it important enough to say, tell Archippus, complete the ministry you received from the Lord. I mean, it just begs so many questions. If you personalize that a minute. Own that statement. Put your name in there. Yeah. Tell Mark, complete the ministry you received from the Lord. I mean, some of us would be like, well, I don't, what ministry have I received from the Lord? You wouldn't even be aware of it, right? Or some of you would feel pressure to be like a pastor or like a typical minister. Or you'd want a title, I'm minister this or apostle that or bishop that, right? You'd think in terms of kind of what we've made ministry in terms of title and status. But this, this is Paul speaking to a young man who's growing up in a wealthy father's house. That house is now the host, the church, in Colossae, and, and so now he's trying to find his way in life. He's trying to find his way in God. And the apostle Paul takes him in and says, Archippus, Archie, little Archie, make sure you complete the ministry that Jesus gave you. I think it's important that we understand ministry, not in terms of title or status, but simply in terms of service. Being the provision of God in whatever situation you're in. The idea of ministry is this thing of contribution. Is it easier for me if I, if I use those words? 
Well, what if he said, hey, tell Archippus, see to it that you make your contribution, that you serve in the way in which God's calling you to serve, that you, that you become the provision of God to somebody in need. Maybe that's easier for us to understand. That's what it means. That's what ministry is. We don't know what ministry Archivist was called to. It doesn't say. But it seems like in that, that there must have been some sort of obstacle because Paul wouldn't have needed to call him out on it or to remind him or see to it, use such strong language, if it was already flourishing. And so here's a young man of means who is struggling to discover and discern and to walk out his calling in life. And Paul gives him that pat on the back, that fatherly, hey, see to it. Don't miss it. Don't let any obstacles stop you from accomplishing what Jesus has given you. I want to talk about that a minute because it's so important to realize this thing, that ministry or to be the provision of God or to serve people, it doesn't begin with your hopes and aspirations and desires. Do you hear me on that? Ministry does not begin with your own personal hopes and desires and dreams and self-actualization and need for significance. It doesn't start there. All ministry, all contributions, all service to the Lord and to one another, it begins with Jesus and he hands it to you. I think many people feel like, oh, I, I, I want to do this kind of ministry. I want to do that kind of ministry. My hope is to do this kind of ministry. I'm delighted that God puts hopes and dreams for ministry in people's lives. And, and I think ultimately in the sovereignty of God, those things will line up with God's purposes. But they do not begin there. Your ministry begins with Jesus giving it to you. You receive it, and then you begin to be the provision of God. You begin to serve and care for people and meet the needs around you. In the simplest of terms, I use Glenn Van Dersen as an example. Um, Glenn has a lawn mowing ministry. He cares for the people around him by mowing their lawn. It didn't begin by Glenn growing up as a young man thinking, you know, when I grow up, I just, I want the anointing and the power of God to cut grass for my neighbors, right? It didn't come through some discipleship class, say, you are called as foreordained before the foundation of the world that you would cut the neighbor's grass. No, this is the beauty of Glenn, and it's, it's worth honoring here, because if he sees a need, he ministers to it. Doesn't matter what it is. Now, Glenn, Glenn just happens to be pretty, pretty good on a lawnmower. So that's to his credit. God has gifted him with a lot of practical abilities. He's diligent. All the, all the skill sets that make serving people effective, Glenn has many of them. Not all of them, but he does well. And so his ministry, though, began when he saw the need. Some people search their whole life. 
What's my purpose? What's my ministry? What is my calling? What is it? What is it? And they struggle and grapple with it for years, for a long time, only to be frustrated in it. And then just be like, well, figure it out. I can't figure it out. Let me tell you, the way to figure out your calling and purpose in ministry is life is to find the needs around you and begin meeting them. And you just forget about the rest and you give yourself to caring for people, ministering to people in the grace of God, with the love of God, with whatever gifts God's given you. If it's leadership, lead. If it's mercy, have compassion. If it's giving financially, give your brains out. Try to outgive God. Just try it. I had a friend who was a wealthy businessman. I, I was in business with him. I was not the wealthy businessman. He was. But he would tell me, like, man, I just keep trying to outgive God and I can't seem to win. He'd call me up sometimes like, hey, I really, really gave a lot the other day. I think I'm winning. And then he'd be like, he was kind of a ridiculous person too. But he's like, you know what? God just blessed me again. I just don't get it. I can't outgive him. Maybe that's your ministry, funding the kingdom. That was Philemon's ministry. There was so many people's ministry. Hey, you know what? We're going to leverage all we have into kingdom resource. Do it. Find the need, see the need. I mean, and Todd just mentioned, we got a couple young people still looking to finish the race and the financial raising of money for Japan. If that's your ministry, don't wait for someone to ask you for it. Just give it. See the need around you and begin being the provision of God in that. If it's cutting grass, do it. If they need someone in children's ministry or someone to help paint the ranger building, God help us, someone paint the ranger building. Just see the need and go for it. He, he tells Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you received from the Lord Jesus. You see the needs, you will find out suddenly and unexpectedly that you're right smack dab in the middle of the ministry and the purposes of God that he had for you. You'll say, all of a sudden, you'll say, oh my goodness, I just started serving people, I just started ministering to people, being the provision of God to people, I just started making my contribution. I could tell, I'm built for this. I've got joy. I'm running lean. I'm not just sitting on the couch potato. I'm busy, I'm active. I'm finding purpose and significance. I'm a blessing. I'm having an impact. It was in the sixth century, the reformers, Martin Luther and many others, recaptured this concept of the priesthood of all believers. That every believer, everyone who names the name of Jesus, who follows after Christ, not only has access to God, you can pray straight to him. You can call on God, he will hear you, and he will answer you. What a beautiful testimony that um, um, Megan gave. God is good. It's good when you're holding the baby, and he's no less good when you're waiting for the baby, even if it takes a long time. That every believer has access to God, but not only that, but every believer has a ministry. If you go through our Discovering Living Word class, and some of you are in the middle of that, we call that every member a minister. Don't wait for the pastor to do it. Don't wait for the elders to do it. Don't wait for somebody of some position or status to do it. Absolutely not. See to it that you complete the ministry that was given to you by Jesus Christ. 
One of the greatest joys I have as a Christian leader is finding out about a problem after it's already resolved by the community of God. That's how it should happen. I want to end with this statement. Jesus has qualified you for ministry. Jesus has made you qualified. Sometimes people feel unqualified. Let me read you um, a couple paragraphs from the Apostle Paul from a different letter he wrote to Timothy. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Understand, Paul is speaking to a young pastor, a young minister, someone who's just kind of growing up in his faith, and Paul's kind of pouring into him. It's like, this is what I know. This is what I've learned. This is what's true. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. In that way, appointing me to ministry. I've asked the ushers to pass out the communion elements while I'm reading this. So grab the stuff, but then hold it, keep it, wait for it while I read this passage. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, giving me ministry. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners, of whom Paul says, I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Do you hear what's happening there? Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, look, I was once the worst of sinners. He's like, Timothy, I want you to understand something. I was a blasphemer. I was violent. I was ignorant. I was, I, I was unbelief. I didn't trust God. I didn't know. Timothy, I was the very reason Christ died. He says, but I thank God for this, that he has shown me mercy, that he has somehow by his grace, transformed me from a sinner to a servant. It's very wonderful. We look at Paul as one of the great effective ministers of the New Testament. And Paul made it very clear. Christ died for him. And his sins, his violence, his anger, his unbelief, his blasphemy, 
All that was wrapped up in the cross. The table that we're about to participate in, the Lord's table, we call it communion. The word communion is this idea of community, right? Community is meant to pull us closer to each other and closer to God. That when we take the table, the bread, which represents his body, the cup, which represents his blood, that we are communing with God, that we are together brought near to Christ. In this is not only the forgiveness of sins, though it's very much for the forgiveness of sins. In this is also a commissioning to service. It's a commissioning to ministry. When Jesus first instituted this, he pulled his disciples together and said, this is for me, remember me. Remember the mission. Remember what this means, that you are now not only forgiven children of God, but you are now commissioned to minister. You can almost hear Archippus. Make sure you minister. Make sure you're faithful to complete that which Christ has given to you. Those that receive the cup and receive the, the bread only for the forgiveness of sins, but not for the commissioning of ministry, it's a very selfish place. He's like, I'm only in this for me. I'm only in this for the forgiveness. I'm only in this to get myself right with God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are get right with God and we begin living the purposes of God as God intends. So as we take this today, thank you, love. As we take this today, we remember the body of Christ broken for us. That our broken lives can be made whole. And maybe afresh you need to acknowledge, Lord, in my brokenness, I receive your body. Make me whole. Don't, don't ignore your brokenness. Embrace it. Bring it to Christ. He'll make you whole. And in this, the blood of Christ is for the forgiveness of sins. It was beautiful, the, the play on remembrance that we heard earlier. That God remembers what he promises. But he also promises to forget our sins forgiven by his blood. Don't ignore your sins. Own them. Own it. Own your sin. If you're an angry man, own it. If you're a gossip, own it. If there's unchecked lust in your heart, own it. And say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by the blood of Christ, by the blood of Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Stand with me. Worship team, come up. We're going to end with a song.